So the title of this episode is Only the Good Die Young, right? Yeah. And I know it's a song, but that's not like even true because people are complicated, first of all, and all dichotomies are false dichotomies, even that one, because there are some true dichotomies. And God damn it, that's a Hank Green quote. Yet another episode where the green slipped in. Because I love one man and his brother. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. I'm not quite with Lexi. Lexi, what's the worst part about doing this on Zoom? Dang, um, the worst part about doing this on Zoom is if I wanted to make cocktails and give them to you guys, I would have to mail them and then the ice would melt. So that would really suck. Also almost here is Haley. Haley, what's the best part about doing this on Zoom? Seeing your lovely faces. Um, we got, we spent like three, four years together just seeing each other every single day. And that was the worst part about going to grad school was I didn't have you guys. And I'm Alana and I haven't spent this much time in a closet since 2014. <laughs> That's good. I love that. That adds a little light, a little light to this. Episode. A little levity. Oh my God, Haley is losing it. <laughs> A brief warning about the following story. This story includes police brutality and torture. If these subjects are uncomfortable for you, please skip to the next story. You just heard the song Arirang, an approximately 600-year-old folk song, which is on the UNESCO Intangible Cultural Heritage List. During the fight for Korean independence, protesters sang the song as a symbol of Korean spirit. We will tell the story of one of those protesters today, Yu Guan Sun. Listener suggested by my sorority sister, Kate. Shout out to Kate, sister from George Mason. Um, love her. And she suggested this lady, and it was a really good suggestion. Wait, it's it's another Korean lady, yes. which is the language that you studied in school. Yes, 
So it all comes back, you know? Um, and I actually had heard of Yu Guan before. So I was excited to dive deeper into that story and share it with other people because every Korean teacher I ever had brought her up at some point. And if you take Korean history in a college setting, one of the days will be about her, inevitably. So every year in Korea, the people celebrate Independence Movement Day on March 1st, and Koreans call this day Sam-il, which literally means 3-1. Um, this annual event commemorates the protests that took place on March 1st, 1919, a large resistance of Japan's military rule of the Korean people. For some context, in 1910, Japan annexed Korea without the consent of Korean leadership. Japan's rule in Korea sought to assimilate Koreans to Japanese culture. It would take a whole episode to explain this entire story and how the U.S. is involved and a whole bunch of other things. But for our purposes, it is important to understand that this was like overall a really bad time for the Korean people. Korean culture was restricted, Japanese individuals moved into their land, and violent military rule by the Japanese became the norm in the Korean peninsula. Additionally, Koreans were forcibly removed from the peninsula and taken to Japan to work as forced laborers. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of resistance to the Japanese in early 20th century Korea. One act of resistance was a protest that occurred on March 1st, 1919, Samil. On that day, 33 activists gathered in Seoul and read aloud the Korean Declaration of Independence, which begins, we here with proclaim the independence of Korea and the liberty of the Korean people. This we proclaim to all nations of the world in witness of human equality. This we proclaim to our descendants so that they may enjoy in perpetuity their inherent right to nationhood. Obviously, that was said in Korean, translated to English for our, our listeners. This moment was just the spark that began a fire of resistance with communities across the peninsula beginning to protest the Japanese occupation. One protester was Gwansun, who had represented this moment in history for generations of Koreans and today serves as the main symbol of the March 1st movement. Gwansun was born in modern day South Korea, but of course at this time Korea was still one unified nation, so that doesn't really matter, but she was born in a province that's now in modern South Korea. She was born on November 17th, 1902, so happy birthday to her two days ago when this episode airs. Um, her father was a reform-minded Methodist and an Enlightenment thinker, and in 1918, Gwansum was admitted on scholarship to the Ihua Girls' School. It's a school that still exists today and has a long list of famous graduates. It is not to be confused with Ihua University, which is a prominent um, women's university in Seoul, but it is in Seoul and it is Iwa's girls' school, so I can understand why people mix them up. The school, along with many others in the country, had become a hub for young activists to learn and discuss the Japanese occupation. Together, they dreamed of Korean independence, so it was very much a young people's movement. And they protested actively, cheering, long live Korean independence. Japan, noticing the schools were becoming organizing hubs for young activists, shut them down. So Gwansum was sent back to her hometown where she continued to rally support for Korean independence among her community. The school closures were a catalyst for national unity among the Korean people and ignited a wave of new activism. So everyone was like, they closed our schools. Let's all get together and really start to protest. So Gonson recruited people to participate in protests with her on March 1st, 1919. The protests would take place at the Aonai. I might be saying that one wrong. I couldn't find it in Hangul, only in English. So I'm reading the Romanized version, not the Hangul, which is why I'm pronouncing it really badly. The Aonai market. And soon 
Japanese police forces arrived and began to shoot the Korean protesters who were unarmed, and the police killed 19 people, including both of Guansun's parents. The police arrested many of the protesters, including 16-year-old Guansun. In custody, Guansun was offered a deal. If she pled guilty and outed her fellow activists who organized the event, the Japanese police would lighten her sentence. When Guansun refused to out her co-conspirators, the Japanese police tortured her. Despite being beaten, she still resisted giving up any information, thus maintaining her role in the fight against Japanese oppression and violence. Many other women who fought for independence were imprisoned with Guansun at Saudinman Prison. One year later, on March 1st, 1920, women in the women's walk of Saudinman Prison began to chant, Long Live Korean Independence. The chant spread across the prison. One of these young women was Guansun. I actually got the chance to visit this prison when I was in South Korea in 2018. Highly recommend going there. It's now a dedicated history museum with exhibit materials in English, Korean, Chinese, Russian, and a couple other languages. And I got to see cell number eight in the women's branch, which is where Guansum was imprisoned. And it's now dedicated in her honor and it's set up as an exhibit for her. And they had really immersive exhibits to explain her story. So it was a very moving experience. After the chant, Guansum was transferred to solitary confinement. Just two days before the end of her sentence, on September 28, 1920, at the age of just 17, she died in prison from injuries sustained during torture. Never abandoning her beliefs, she continued to advocate in prison, writing in her diary, Japan will fall, even if my fingernails are torn out, my nose and ears ripped apart, my legs and arms crushed. This physical pain doesn't compare to the pain of losing my nation. My only remorse is not being able to do more than dedicating my life to my country. It would be another 25 years until Korea gained independence, with Japan being defeated in World War II. Guansun has been remembered in popular media, including in Korean films and books, and the trailer for one such film that just came out last year will be on our show notes in the Tumblr. It's called Resistance in English. It looks really cool. I haven't had the chance to watch the whole film yet, but I watched all the trailers that are on YouTube because I was just so captivated. Um, the young actress that plays her seems really, really talented, so... I will be watching the whole thing. Join me in watching it at some point. Um, definitely check it out. And Guansun is seen as a martyr for the Korean independence movement. She's still honored by Korean people to this day. A shrine was erected to her in her home city. It's a really cute statue of her holding up a flag and protesting. And many scholars refer to her as Korea's Joan of Arc. But I don't like when we compare women to each other. I really think Guansun is Korea's Guansun. She is a woman who died far too young fighting for what she believed in. And we deserve to remember her in that way. I love uh, your note on not comparing women to women because it irks I, the shit out of me. <laughs> I just like, why does she have to be compared to particularly a white woman, a white Christian woman? But why yeah. does she have to be compared to anyone else? She did something incredible for her people. Exactly. Maybe Joan of Arc is <laughs> Francis Uguanson. the most glamorous city on earth, Hollywood, California, a city where men and women skyrocket to fame or plunge to oblivion. I will be talking about Brittany Murphy and with this a brief warning of death, poisoning, murder, and eating disorder. I really struggled with picking a lady today because it was either someone who recently died, which I felt very awkward talking about, or 
a very small child, which I just, again, mental health needed a break. However, I recently watched Clueless and there is a new ID mystery or uh, investigation discovery coming out. So drumroll, I had to pick Brittany Murphy. And a lot of me is remembering my deep dive of her life when she died in 2009. And she's one of the first celebrities I remember as a, like a death, like they're dying being reported. And me as a young child, having that connection being like, oh, I know who that is. I've watched her movies. I've seen her. I had a connection. Also, I believe it was around the time my grandfather died. So I kind of, it's been very strange. Whenever someone significant in my life has died, it's another celebrity that had a significant impact in my life also dies around then. So that also had an impression on me. So we all know her as Ty Frazier from the 1995 classic Clueless. However, her big break actually came from becoming a regular on the sitcom Drexel's Class at age 14. And honestly, it was no surprise that she became such a huge star because around age eight, she was begging her mom to start acting. And by age 12, her mom was like, you know what? Sure, let's do this thing. We'll see what happens. And almost immediately, she was booked for gigs. And it was like gig after gig. Back to Clueless. As if... Uh-huh. I weren't going to just not talk about that movie. Brittany's character, Ty, is a new student who's described as hopelessly klutzy and who gets pulled under the wing of popular socialite Cher and once gets that classic makeover, her popularity skyrockets. And yes, this is the movie where the main character starts dating her ex-stepbrother, who's Paul Rudd. Utter classic. I believe it's still on Netflix. Do yourself a favor. Watch it's it. based on Emma. Yes. Yes. And at the end of Emma, Emma starts dating her brother-in-law. Yes. So. so along with the movie being absolutely iconic, it's over 25 years old. So we get a lot of like the fun facts or the tidbits being released. And honestly, not many reference Brittany Murphy. I was really surprised by that. A lot of them, of course, are on like share. Um, being the main character, but a lot on like the director, creator, and the costume designer. But for Brittany Murphy, I was like, oh my gosh, I just have all these fun facts in my brain that I just remember from her and memoriam reel, but I couldn't find like the evidence to back it up. But my two favorite were the insult that Ty and Cher like were arguing and Ty goes, you're a virgin who can't drive. Way harsh, Ty chef's kiss line well Brittany Murphy was actually the virgin who couldn't drive which I thought was hysterical and at the time I watched Clueless I was also a virgin who couldn't drive so I didn't realize like why that was an insult I was like yeah what I still can't drive like do you not have a license or you're just a bad driver because I'm a shitty driver but I have license. Oh, my license expires in January okay also the scene where she gets hit in the head with like a clog in that like house party it was a little bit of movie magic if you will because they did this scene with like a prop and it just looked really really fake so uh when they went in post they superimposed a shoe or whatever like hit her I believe it was the clog so the movie would look more realistic and now I really want to rewatch the movie to see if I like they got it just right with the editing now I'm doing a 180 to her death as I said, Investigation Discovery has a new episode documentary. In the show notes, I've linked it. It's free. It calls it like episode one or something. 
and I believe it's like 40 minutes long. So it's something you can do while you're like building a bookshelf, cooking dinner, trying to fall asleep. That's how I watched it. Please don't read into that. And the episode documentary is not necessarily on her death that she died, but investigating it as not actually an accident from the perspective of her father really spearheading this. So her father, before he died in 2019, was like, I need to investigate this more, did a bunch of interviews on how he believes that there's a little more to the story about his daughter, Brittany Murphy, dying at the age of 32. And a lot of my notes come from the documentary or commentary from it. And I'm doing a warning in addition to my previous trigger warning that there are a lot of 911 calls and as investigation discovery does, it covers the tragic story without holding anything back. So if that might be a little too much, you'll have a snippet here today, um, a very abbreviated version, if you will. So her official death from like LA County or like the coroner there in 2010 was said to be a combination of iron deficiency anemia, um, pneumonia, and a combination of prescription drugs, like heavy doses of cold medication. But originally, the report was written as a heart attack. And I believe a, one of the coroners told news outlets that, it, that her death appeared natural. And I just want to pause and say a 32-year-old should not have like a natural death if it was ruled as a heart attack. And even kind of with the like a documentary, I was having a hard time of like which coroner said what. Maybe that was just me watching this after my stressful life, just being my stressful life with work and school. Um, I really want to watch it with you guys too. There were also rumors that she had a drug problem and an eating disorder, which could have contributed to her death. But when I was reading like some news outlets and it was like the really crappy um, tabloids. It was like, she died of an eating disorder. And it's like, no, or like if she didn't have an eating disorder, she would have lived. And there was nothing to say that she did or did not have an eating disorder per se, like at that time. Um, I couldn't find any credible sources from 2009, 2010 that she did have an eating disorder. All I could find was like, Brittany and Murphy's looking really skinny. And that that's, as a person, I'll go out saying it, who has struggled with like eating disorders in the past, I will never say this person had an eating disorder, this person didn't. I could not find Brittany Murphy coming out and saying that she had an eating disorder. This is all speculation. Even if it comes from a doctor, even if it comes from her dad, speculation. I'm not a doctor. Before her death, both Brittany and her husband, Simon Monjack, believed that they were being watched by the U.S. government. And Brittany was reportedly a witness to Julia Davis, a Homeland Security employee who called out some of the problems within the organization. So that was kind of like a part that I, people were like, oh, she, she could have been murdered, taken out by the government. Um, and I really didn't know where to put this note in because it was kind of like she was saying it before she died as well. And she was, I think, a little paranoid from this. Also before her death, Simon and her mother were both sick in Puerto Rico. Brittany was filming The Caller. They went along for a vacay and 
things just turn nasty. You get sick. That's also like just like a common thing, getting sick on vacations. However, she was reportedly fired on like the first day and some kind of like pointed to her husband causing a nuisance on set or being like drunk and such. So things are just like being very weird. Like a lot of first, like the government coming in thinking that she was being followed or watched and now being on a film set and her husband causing a huge disturbance. And sometimes still while on this island, like I said, Simon and her mother got sick. So much so that on the flight home, Brittany had to give her husband CPR and someone, I believe it was Simon who claimed he was having a mild heart attack. So again, we have this heart attack cause of illness coming back. So of course we get to the part where Brittany now gets a little cold and it isn't just a little cold. She gets laryngitis. Apparently she got her second period in a month, hence the anemia, all lot of list of just the dominoes hitting the fan of she was essentially sick for six weeks, which takes a toll on anybody, like regardless of if you're healthy before or not. And she even had a doctor's appointment for the Monday after she died. And I believe she died like on a Friday night at home. So fast forward a few months to now her husband dies of like similar causes. And this was also sketchy because not only did he die like in the same room, same bed, his death was also ruled as quote, severe anemia and acute pneumonia. So now like bells should be ringing off like, what the fuck, what the fuck? This is just a few months after her. And another weird part was that there was like an alleged scandal that he also had a relationship with her mother. Things are not adding up. Just to like wrap this whole thing up, like her father said in one of his last interviews, he just didn't feel right. This didn't sit well. And he continuously made allegations against other family members. And he just really wanted to get closure on her death. And that's basically where it ends, where it's, we don't know, we just now have all this new information and people like investigation, discovery, documentary episode are just trying to put it together. That's a heavy one. From the Middle Ages down to modern times, the magic of chemistry has fascinated mankind. So I don't have a content warning for this one, aside from like, she died when she was young, and that's hard to talk about. Alice Augusta Ball was born on July 24th, making her Leo, 1892, in Seattle, Washington. I'm going to make that my thing that I just note the star signs of my ladies. Both of Alice's parents and her grandfather were photographers, which meant that because of like photographic technology in the late 19th century, Alice grew up around the chemicals that were used for developing photographs at the time. In 1902, when Alice was 10, they all moved to Honolulu, uh, hoping that the change in climate might alleviate her grandfather's arthritis and other medical conditions. Alice's grandfather died two years later, and the family moved back to Seattle, where Alice graduated high school in 1910 with stellar, amazing, incredible, top-of-her-class grades. She earned a degree in pharmaceutical chemistry in just two years, and then a degree in chemistry in four years, both from the University of Washington. She went back to Hawaii to get her master's degree in chemistry from the University of Hawaii, which was then called 
College of Hawaii. Uh, she was the first woman and the first black woman to get a master's degree from the University of Hawaii. She graduated in 1915 and then that fall she became head of the chemistry department. Her thesis was about isolating the active ingredients in kava root for medical purposes. And this is why Dr. Harry Holman, an assistant surgeon at the local hospital, sought her help. At the time, the best treatment for Hansen's disease, aka leprosy, was a pill or an ointment made from chalmugra oil, uh, which was derived from the seeds of a tropical evergreen tree called the chalmugra. So isolating these active ingredients in plants would be an excellent skill to have if you were to research further on chalmugra oil and cures slash treatments for Hansen's disease. She juggled teaching and research as a 20-something, and the time management skills of this woman that within a year she had created a water-soluble solution of chalmugra oil, which meant it could be administered directly into the bloodstream and be much more effective. It worked. The practice for people who had been diagnosed with Hansen's or leprosy was to group them together and isolate the group. This is where you get the phrase leper colony. One of my sources called this treatment only partially effective, but holy shit, because of Alice, those people got to go home to their families. So I don't, partially effective, no, I hate you. I don't hate you. Thank you for writing something that I could read for free, but come on. Alice died December 31st, 1916 at the age of 24 after a lab accident while she was teaching gave her chlorine poisoning because lab ventilation wasn't required yet. Her work was stolen. And this you'll see when we talk about, um, when I talk about Rosalind Franklin in January, that stolen work of women in STEM is kind of a theme for me. Arthur Dean, the college president who took over her work after she died, but basically all he did was publish it, only mentioned her name once in the publication and started calling it the Dean method. Luckily, Dr. Holman, was like, um, mm -mm, no ma'am, and actively started calling it the ball method, and that's the name that stuck. And this method was used until the 1940s, so for 20 years, until um, cell phone drugs came onto the scene and they work better or something. I, as previously mentioned, I am not a doctor. Just a little bit about her legacy. As of 2000, February 29th is officially Alice Ball Day in Hawaii, which February 29th? Really? The 29th? A date that doesn't really exist? Come on. The University of Hawaii Manoa uh, also offers the Alice Augusta Ball Scholarship for students majoring in chemistry, biochemistry, biology, or microbiology. They also have a little plaque for her on their Chalmugra tree, which is just small, but I think it's cute. But Alice's work basically cured leprosy and was just like people weren't contagious and could go back to living with their families and living their lives and just being people. And then this is one of those things like in a general sense that I'm like, how many great, incredible, fantastic, smart, brilliant minds are we stifling due to systematic oppression? Because Alice was so amazing and smart and was able to accomplish all of these things as a black woman and overcame like every single source that I read was like, this was so strange for a woman, for a black person, for a black woman to be doing. So like larger than anything that she personally could have done, which I think 
if she had survived this poisoning or if there were if ventilation was a thing in labs could she have found a vaccine for leprosy that i i don't know whether or not we have i can't really tell they were working on it at one point according to one of my articles that was in 2018 and it was promising so it might be done by now but like what are we as a society missing out on by making life so difficult for anyone who isn't a cisgender straight white man like all of these amazing snaps snaps to that snaps thank you I'm very frustrated by systematic oppression these days it's like COVID systematic oppression how systematic oppression is making COVID worse in places there's gonna be a black woman in the white house there's gonna be a black woman in the white house just to make you feel a little better I do feel better about that makes me so happy I do like that and then her husband is the first Jew in the White House really yeah I really wish like we could have called him like the first Doug because I feel like that's awesome and the first Doug and that could have just (laughs) second because it's a VP spouse it's the second second Doug (laughs) that really lightened up the mood I think the vibe that is going to end up happening is first gentleman second gentleman because that's what they do for governors but like I want second Doug and then like forever just it be Doug. Oh, it becomes Doug even after. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I kind of love it. It's like good the Doug. <laughs> I'm not a fan of second dude. I don't care for that. I think that's like Yeah, I don't like that. Ugh. We need like a spouse dog. of president. No, it's Sop. Sop. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Lexi B. Draws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. Next week on Lady History, it's our U.S. Thanksgiving episode, and we're doing a deep dive into Native slash Indigenous peoples' history. Are raccoons like ducks where you can just like pick one off the street and it's like- That's not true for ducks. We talked about this before. You can't (laughs) steal wild animals.